Welcome to the Catholic Cafe, where all that the Catholic Church believes and teaches is served fresh daily. So come on in and see what's on the menu today. Now, here's your host, Deacon Jeff Drzymski. Greetings and welcome to the Catholic Cafe. I'm Deacon Jeff, sitting in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe, sitting here with Tom Doran, sidekick. Yes, sir. You doing all right? I'm well, and you? I'm doing fantastic. I'm a little emotional today. You are? Yes, I'm a little emotional today. That's that's kind of weird, because you aren't like that. Here's the deal. Well, not like that all the time, but if you ask my family, (laughs) they will tell you that I cry at the end of It's a Wonderful Life. Every time when they come in, you know, with all that money and stuff, and they've helped George Bailey out, I cry, get tears in my eyes. How can you not? Um, so I think I'm kind of normal. Yeah. But I got to tell you, I recently read a book. Uh, it's called Waiting for Eli, uh, A Father's Journey from Fear to Faith. I read that's this book. That's why I'm in the mood for a beignet today. Oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly right. Now it all makes sense. That's right. We're going to talk, talk about Louisiana here you go. in just a second. But I read this book, and I got to tell you, every other page, I felt tears. Great book. Welling up in my eyes. You're right. And I, right. it, it was a page turner. And it was one of those kind of books where you, you pick it up. And you can't put it down. You can't put it down. I read it. It took me – I'm not a fast reader. It, I read it in four <laughs> hours. I, I had one, like, 30-minute break. Wow. But the rest was – I just couldn't put it down. It is a good book. Well, we are so blessed because we have the author of that book and other books I know. sitting here in the luxurious corner uh, booth know. of the Catholic Cafe. Yeah. It's uh, Chad Judice. 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 Yeah. Well, you know, I'm not a good at the saying the French things. I like French fries. Here at the Catholic Cafe, but uh, and beignets. If it's Polish, you're, you're from good you're from down in Louisiana way, aren't you? I'm from Lafayette, Louisiana. Oh, yeah, fantastic, Chad. I tell you what, it's such an honor to have you here mm-hmm. uh, and talk about this. I, I want all the folks at home to understand just how impactful this book was for me. But I think you've gotten so much feedback on this thing about how people have just been blown away just by reading this little short, simple book. Absolutely. I've had um, couples that were pregnant uh, in troubled situations with a poor prenatal diagnosis like my wife and I. I've had people that are in prison. I've had men who had, you know, focused too much on worldly things mm-hmm. and forgot their responsibilities as fathers or as husbands or just as men read it and have an epiphany or an awakening. I've had high school kids that, you know, didn't believe in God, start to believe in God, start to pray. Mm-hmm. Lots and lots. And it affects people of all ages. Oh, and that's amazing. So we should put all this in context and kind of what is the story about? What are we talking about? You've got, you've got a, several books here. You've got uh, Waiting for Eli, A Father's Journey from Fear to Faith. Then you have a follow-up book, Eli's Reach on the Value of Human Life and the Power of Prayer. And then you have a third book, Real Men Pray, A uh, Conversion of a Cradle Catholic. And see, all these things, though, are all about your life, but... They revolve around specifically about what event in your life. I had a life-changing moment in uh, Tuesday, September 30th, 2008, in the darkness of an ultrasound room. But that started back in 2005 when I had a young student ask me what my greatest fear was. And I told him that my greatest fear would be to have a child with a mental or physical handicap because I was such a perfectionist. Mm. I didn't think I'd handle that very well. Right. Having no idea that four years later, in the midst of that ultrasound, that fear would become my reality. My wife and I were somewhere between 16 and 20 weeks of our second pregnancy, and um, my son was diagnosed with uh, spina bifida, and that's a neural tube defect. That's what your spinal cord is called in utero. That occurs in the first six weeks of pregnancy. He had the most severe form of spina bifida, and it caused him to have a condition called hydrocephalus. And at the time, my wife and I didn't really know much about the condition, despite the fact that she was a neonatal nurse. And reading the information from the specialist that we got after receiving the diagnosis, we were told our son would never walk. Mm. 
who were told he would be severely mentally disabled, and he would have many other health issues his entire life. In fact, what's you know tied to that diagnosis is is that a startling number of people who then elect not to have that child. Yeah, that was the most startling thing that night was to read that 80% of the couples who received that diagnosis choose abortion. And my wife and I chose to carry the baby to term and to hold on to God uh, throughout that process. Now, but you probably weren't like that super close to God at that point in your life. Or maybe you were or you, or you thought you were. You really hadn't thought too deeply about it. That journey began uh, when I started working at St. Thomas More. I began to go and attend um, a men's group. With Where other is men St. Thomas More? Is that a high school? That, that's, a, that's a high school in uh, Lafayette, Louisiana, the okay. diocese there. It's the it's the uh, the flagship Catholic school of our diocese, and there were some men that I worked with, and they invited me to go have dinner with them every night, or every once a month, with a priest, and it was about building our relationship with Jesus Christ. And as I grew in my faith, in, in being comfortable with speaking with other men about my faith, which is a big deal, by the way, because I mean, most guys don't like to do that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. No, not at all. In fact, to be honest with you, I was scrumming in my seat the first couple of times yeah. I went. I really was very uncomfortable. Hoping they wouldn't look at you to, to lead them in prayer. Absolutely. In fact, I was, I was dreading that. But as I saw them and how confident and comfortable they were in their faith and disgusting, it really inspired me and it drew that aspect of my prayer life and my relationship with God out of me. And by the time we got the diagnosis, God had already had me on a journey. Yeah. He just pressed the fast forward button from that point forward. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Now that, but but you're you, you, in, in this. You talk about transformation and change, and and really just just this idea that uh, trusting in God, right? And, and absolutely. And you, but you were a changed man in all this process. I, I heard you just the other day say that it wasn't about the healing of Eli. It was about the healing. You were the one that ended up needing to be healed in all this process. That's correct. Now, that's only come to a realization. Now, my son's five years old now, and it's been a five-year process for me to unfold from the time that all this began to come to that realization. But when you talk about trusting in God, the night that we found out about the percentages, my wife had a weak moment, and she said, uh, you know, I'm going to hell. She had tears running down her face, and she was paralyzed by fear. And I said, what are you talking about? She said, I'm actually thinking about aborting this child. And speaking of trust in God, I grabbed her by her shoulders, moved by the Holy Spirit, and I said, this is not your fault. It's not my fault. God sent this child for a reason. We have to trust in God through our oldest son, Ephraim, trusting us. And, of course, I knew my Bible well enough at this time to know that I was making a reference to when Jesus is teaching to the crowds. Right. And he calls the children around him, and he says the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And what he's telling us is that even as full-functioning adults that have this illusion of control, we have to be as trustworthy and dependent on God as a kid is on their parent. See, isn't it amazing how you, you, you talk about the stuff like this and you realize suddenly hindsight's twenty twenty, and you realize God was preparing you for all these conversations that you would have. Absolutely. Just by being in that little group, by studying more, by learning more about your faith, suddenly now when you were ready physically, spiritually, emotionally, in all those ways, that's mm-hmm. when God starts to really lay it on you and help you see how powerful and wonderful he is. Well, absolutely. And people always want to know, how do you know God's speaking to you? How are you having a conversation with God? Well, for me, it was instantaneous. Uh, the next day in Mass, I went to school, and the priest rose to proclaim the gospel. And it was from Matthew chapter 18, verse 3 through 5. And Jesus says, Amen, amen, I say to you, unless you become like this child, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one child such as this in my name receives me. So as the words I had referenced to my wife the night before, yeah. I read a lot of mass that day. <laughs> man. God had my attention. <laughs> Don't you hate it when that happens, oh, Tom? You know, I'm telling you. <laughs> you think I like, you got I like, everything I like under control. Chills. Right. 
Well, you know what? That's the thing. You get the chills when you read the. I, I've only read the first one, and I and I can't wait to read the <laughs> the other ones. But in in the you know in waiting for Eli in that book, every time I was turning the page, I was getting a chill, and I was thinking, wait a second. I mean, this is incredible. How many times there were you know you can call them coincidences if you want, and and the and the cynics among us will say, yeah, that's just a coincidence. Right. And I might have believed that one or two, maybe mm-hmm. even five of these things were coincidences, but I think there's probably like thirty-seven thousand different things that happen in here. Not only messages from from God, from the Holy Spirit, the Blessed Mother, but also saints in heaven. Absolutely, right? Intercession from saints, where there's there are there are moments of intervention in your life. That cannot just be attributed to just it in happenstance. No, for me to respond to that, the first thing I tell critics is, "Well, that's great. I probably, if that's the case, then I've experienced more coincidences in the past four yeah. and a half years of my life <laughs> than most people do in their entire life." And even the most harshest atheist or critic would have to stop for a second and look at the sequence of events that occurred in the first book, in the second book, and even things that are occurring now, and they would have to stop and think to themselves. Well, none of that was happening. I certainly wasn't realizing that stuff was happening until I started praying the way I pray now. Mm-hmm. Now, you, 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 you told us that your wife kind of opened up to you, and she, and she kind of she said she felt bad. She felt like she was going to hell, that right. she was actually considering abortion. And I know that maybe you, I think from reading the book I get the sense that you weren't necessarily ever considering that. But at the same no. time, you had to be going through you, – you describe beautifully in the book the feeling of basically getting slapped in the face with this, the feeling of oh. trying to figure all this out at that ultrasound help us go through some of that what you were feeling when you first got that diagnosis i guess the best explanation i can give you i hope is one that most people who are familiar with the bible can relate to it's like saul on his way to damascus and he's getting knocked off of his horse and becoming saint paul that's that was the experience for me i just really got knocked off my horse and realized in that moment that every illusion that i had thought in my life everything i thought was reality was an illusion and that everything that was an illusion it's not reality. Reality is something completely different. Reality is living in unison with God. Illusion is living out of union with God. And in that moment, I realized that I'm not in control. God's in control. And I need to just give this to him because at that point in my life, I would tell people, have you ever been to a point where you've been brought to nothing? Yeah. In the midst of your nothingness, you find him. And you realize you can either give up or you can hold on to what you've been taught to believe and embrace it in a way you never have before. Kind of like that woman who was bleeding, just yeah. wanted to reach out and touch Yeah, the Christ. hemorrhaging woman. That is so beautiful. In fact, you know what's, what was neat for me is to, to be able to talk to you and see how you have changed and how you're a, a different man than what you were telling me you were before. And I can see that profoundly. And how interesting is I know you've realized this because obviously this is what we're here about doing. But this was all the, the instrument of this was essentially what the world would cast off. Yes. And say that this is this is not worth bringing into the world, right? Nope. That that this is not a human being. It's not a full human being or it's not, right. you know, this is a, a mistake or, or whatever. But 80% of the people would say, no, we're not going to do this, right. right? But that was the very instrument that is, that is bringing you so close to salvation, that is leading you to salvation, yes. right? That, and you could even say that maybe Eli is your salvation in, in, in a way. In a way he is. Not that I don't love my oldest son or my wife's actually 20 weeks pregnant right now for our third child. And uh, his name is Ezra Matthew. He's my third son. Mm-hmm. So I, I love my children. But Eli, is, it was unique because when Ephraim was, when Ashley was pregnant with Ephraim, I was conscious of the pregnancy, but I didn't understand it. I didn't appreciate it. I didn't grasp the gift. Now, for a moment when Ephraim was born, I finally understood the idea of the love of God the Father. Because mm-hmm. I said, oh, my God, I never loved anything 
or anyone like I love this person when I was holding him. I was like, now I get when people say God the Father loves you, yeah. how much he loves us. But that, that epiphany was very short-lived. And then, you know, the world and, and, and selfishness kind of replaced it for a while. And I fell into that trap. And then I met those guys and it started pulling it out of me. And then when Eli came, it was completely, I mean, I learned the idea of dying to self in a, in a way that if I would not have learned it that way, I wouldn't have been transformed the way that I am. That's a beautiful, such a beautiful uh, revelation and realization in your life, and it's, it's done a lot of good things to you. Obviously, we're going to talk about some of those when we come back. Before we do that, I want to remind folks at home we have a great website, www.thecatholiccafe.com. Also, I would love for you to send me an email to me what's going on in your life. Send that to Deacon Jeff at thecatholiccafe.com. And with that, we'll be right back. I'm Bess Drzemski. And this is another great moment in church history. The world has long wrestled with belief in God, belief in a supreme and loving creator who transcends all things, all spaces, and all time. And countless words of wisdom have been written through the ages by Catholic and non-Catholic thinkers alike about the meaning, importance, and construct of faith. American writer and poet Elizabeth York Case writes, There is no unbelief. Whoever plants a seed beneath the sod and waits to see it push away the clod, he trusts in God. St. Thomas Aquinas, doctor of the church, writes, To one who has faith, no explanation is necessary. To one without faith, no explanation is possible. If a man wishes to be sure of the road he treads on, St. John of the Cross tells us, he must close his eyes and walk in the dark. Faith, says Helen Keller, is the strength by which a shattered world shall emerge into the light. First Lady Eleanor Roosevelt writes, He who loses money loses much. He who loses a friend loses much more. He who loses faith loses all. St. Augustine, early father of the church, reminds us, Faith is to believe what you do not see. The reward of this faith is to see what you believe. In St. Matthew's Gospel, Jesus himself speaks of the great power and promise of this gift of faith. He tells us, For truly I say to you, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there. And it will move, and nothing will be impossible to you. As defined in our Sunday Visitor's Catholic Dictionary, faith is the first of the theological virtues. Together with hope and love, faith brings about the life of sanctifying grace in the human person. Faith is truly a gift from God. We cannot manufacture it or create it out of nothing. It is not a faucet that we can turn on or off. No, it is indeed a beautiful and precious gift given out of love to each of us from God. And by definition, because it is a gift, it must be received. And once received, it must be nurtured, tended, cared for, cultivated, and developed. Faith must be lived or it will die. It is only in living a life of faith that we are truly alive. I'm Bess Drzymski, and this is another great moment in church history. Welcome back to the Catholic Cafe. Here's Deacon Jeff. 
And we're back in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe. Yes, that was my lovely wife, Bess, talking about faith. St. Bess. St. Bess. She's yes. on her way. She's on her way. She's and I'm, lovely I'm indeed. here to help her get there. That's yeah, my you're job. you a fine job. So we're talking to Chad Judice. And Chad, so you're telling us all about uh, waiting for Eli, a father's journey from fear to faith, Eli's reach on the value of human life and the power of prayer, and real men pray, a conversion of a, cat, a, a cradle Catholic. So these books and just this whole event with Eli in your life, this is an amazing thing to me. And I, again, I can't reiterate how, uh, I don't know, just how important that book was to me in reading it and how just it changed a lot of perspectives. It really helped me in my, I've always had, I think, especially in recent years, especially as a deacon, as a Catholic deacon, I, I totally support the pro-life movement and understand that. Right. But this really gave a whole other perspective to that pro-life movement. That's, and that was a powerful thing. Absolutely. I, one of the things I say to people when they ask me what, what makes this a unique piece of pro-life literature is that the fact that I know you and I would agree that there are no sound arguments against the moral principles of the pro-life movement and that people that have been involved in the movement have been a courageous voice for the unborn. But what it really lacks is a story, one that bridges the gap between those principles and reality. This is that story. It gives the pro-life movement a face of one of its own. Yeah. An unborn child crying out from Beautiful. the womb that was heard by a community of believers who when they prayed that hard for an unborn child in his mother's womb, whether they realize it or not, they acknowledge he was alive. And when you read the book and truly examine your conscience, I think you just alluded to it, you'll see that before he took his first breath on this earth, God was most certainly using his life yeah. from the womb to impact yeah. other people. Yeah, absolutely fantastic. Well, you know, I talk about that. You just mentioned the word community. One of the other things that really struck me about this book that I was reading, Waiting for Eli, is that, you know, this wasn't just a story about you and your wife, or you and Ephraim, your, your first child, right. uh, and your wife, or you and Ephraim, your wife, and, uh, and Eli. That it wasn't just like this little family affair. Oh, no. It was incredible how often this involved not only your, your, your high school teacher, so your classroom, right. your friends, the, the, the prayer group that you met with, other people who started coming into your life, your extended family, grandparents or parents on both sides, Absolutely. right, in-laws and whatnot. And then, of course, like the entire school, the entire community, I was just blown away. And that's why I guess why I'm, I, I'm getting tears now thinking about all these people who were just involved in this in this what, what seemed to be a struggle at first, but then turned out to be this great blessing. Tell Absolutely. us about how this community got so involved in this and, and how that made you feel that they were all wrapped up in this with you. Well, after the Mass, when uh, the Gospel was read that I had alluded to the night before to my wife, my best friend John Listy at the school was the campus minister, and he came running up to me after Mass, and he said, could you hear us? We were singing so loud for you. And I said, John, this is the Gospel today. So I told Ashley last night. He looked at me and looked at the kids and said, can I tell them? I said, sure. So he ran up on top of the podium before they were dismissed to class, and he slammed his fist down. You could hear like 1,100, you know, 1,100 hearts and 1,100 eyes right at him, complete silence. And he said, I want 1,100 hearts right now to pray with me for a miracle for Chad Nash's Jesus and an unborn son. And moving forward from that point, the whole school kind of jumped in on it. And I went to a retreat. I asked young people to pray with me. I had moments in my classroom with a group of young men in one of my classes I didn't really want to break down in front of. Oh, man. And, you, you know, you were you – were, I'm going to interrupt just for one second because sure. you mentioned you were getting ready to do a retreat. So you're getting ready to give a retreat or be, do a, a talk at a retreat yes. in the midst of all this diagnosis and, right. and all this stuff. What an amazing thing. that And the results of that were, um, were phenomenal in terms of, like, Absolute, the reactions. Absolutely. I mean, I saw kids that are bombarded subconsciously by this culture that everything's about them, completely abandon that mentality and begin praying for an unborn child fervently. It really inspired my prayer life. Mm -hmm. And another instance I have with my students was 
before we got the actual diagnosis, I went into the classroom and they initially were having trouble locating some things in the ultrasound, but weren't sure exactly what was wrong with my son. And I went into this classroom and it was full of guys. And, I, and uh, I said, if I cry in front of these guys, I'm going to lose them for the rest oh, yeah, of the year. Oh, yeah, that's it. That's it. And, of course, you know, God always has a funny way of doing things, like not the way you think they're going to happen. Right. And I said, guys, you know, y'all pray with me. I said, something's wrong with my son. I don't know what it is. I don't know what your faith life is like, but right now it's all I got. And I was trying to start praying the Our Father, man, and I just lost it. The first time of the day, I just waterworks sobbing in front of You know, of anytime you say... God, don't let me break down. <laughs> that, that's a bad combination. Let me warn you. You don't want to do that. And, man, I'm crying. And I'm trying to pray. And this little girl, little tiny girl, back of the room, starts to say the Our Father. And these men, these little young men, they had apathetically prayed every day with me, mumbling. Man, they started praying the Our Father harder than I'd ever heard any kid ever prayed before. And you know how St. Paul writes in the second letter to Corinthians, chapter 12, about it? His vulnerability and how in his weakness he's strong. And how God tells him when he asks him to take that burden away from him that his grace is sufficient for him. Amen. I mean, I'm sitting in there in a the classroom and I'm realizing at that moment, looking back on like you said earlier, 2020 hindsight, that I was so vulnerable in that moment that they couldn't help but see Jesus. And I just saw Jesus totally in them when they began praying that way. And I mean, you could have, I think I could teach another 20 years. I'd never have another moment like that one in the classroom. And see, those are those are moments where you realize just how incredibly easy it is at that point to trust in God, and that, and that's the gift that we have in community, isn't it? Absolutely, and and to recognize His presence yeah. right there in the moment, in the midst of prayer, that you don't have to wait a day or two for an answer. You're getting it right there in that moment. I mean, I knew God was there. Wherever two or more are gathered in My name, there am I in the midst there of it. Is. I mean, you know, again, we go back to Scripture. Uh, so that's wonderful. Now I'll tell you what you've got. Uh, you've got three books. We're going to go over the titles again, sure, uh, and, and help people f- to be able to find them. First of all, your name is Chad Judice. So I want to make sure people J U D I C E. If you're going to Google or, or try to find uh, these books there, but Waiting for Eli: A Father's Journey from Fear to Faith, and that's the first book. That's the one I've read. Correct. And I'm looking forward to reading the second book, uh, Eli's Reach on the Value of Human Life and the Power of Prayer. Now this book's more about. The impact of all this stuff, right? It's, it's the impact. I've, be, I've been speaking for over three years now, four years now. I've uh, been to fi- in front of 50 audiences, seven states, been to a lot of men's conferences, a lot of pro-life conferences, parishes to do parish missions. And I've shared the story with a lot of people, and I've gotten unsolicited feedback. So you got a lot stories. more stories to tell. You Absolutely. Stories, I, so more the, emotional stuff. I'm, it looks like I'm going to get a box of Kleenex. Uh, I, I would definitely recommend don't yeah. read the second one without Kleenex. Uh, and then this third book is Real Men Pray, A Conversion of a Cradle Catholic. And this is really about sort of like where you came from. Yes. A lot of people think I've always been this way, and I want to show them that, you know, um, every every saint has a past, every sinner has a future, and or every sinner has a past, and every saint has a future, and that... No matter where you are right now, God's going to meet you where you're at. And really, it, if I, I'm not even putting myself on the same pedestal as St. Augustine, but it's my confessions, if that makes any kind of sense. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Wonderful. So those three books, you can get those on Amazon.com. And what's cool is there you can get the, the hardback if you like holding that book. Mm-hmm. But then there's also ebook versions of those things available. Correct, on Amazon.com. Right, but then also another place to go is WaitingForEli.com. Is that your website? It is, and you can go there and get a signed copy of both hardbacks mailed directly to your home by my publisher. And it says, you know, order here. You click on the link, and you can get a book from from my publisher there. So now tell me, Chad, what do you got going on right now? Obviously, you are, uh, you know, sort of waking up to this whole ministry thing now. Because here is the ordinary guy. The average, what you called yourself before, a cafeteria Catholic, right? With all this stuff going on, and you're a high school teacher, 
uh, and have been, but things are changing for you, and they're changing fast. What What are you doing now? Well, I'm actually uh, just made a huge life decision. I'm walking away from education at the end of the school year, and I'm going to begin traveling the country full-time, sharing this story. Received several signs, very similar to the things I wrote about in my book, from people who had no idea what I was asking God when I was discerning, telling me that it was the path I need to take. I want to continue writing. I have an uh, outline in the works right now for a third book in the trilogy with Eli that's currently writing itself. And I'm recording those things as they go along. I'm going to call that one Walking with Eli. And uh, really excited about that third book coming out. And I think it will be a whole new line of ministry for me, Marriage Encounter. Um, And just dealing with things that a lot of men have trouble dealing with. And I think that, you know, you hear about all these great people coming in from outside the Catholic Church that have had these experiences like Scott Hunt or like Stephen Ray, you know, or like Tim Staples. And I want to give them a guy who was already a Catholic that may be in the same place they were at in their Catholic faith. And I want to reignite that Catholic faith and then be part of that new evangelization. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. So you're going to spend your time talking, you know, oh, running absolutely. your mouth. Yes, sir. Right. And that's great. So I would say that you're not, you're not giving up on education. No, I'm not. I'm yeah, it's another a form way. of education. Yes. You know, and again, I would look at that just like, you know, God prepared Moses in the desert before he would take the, uh, he was a shepherd before he was shepherding the people of God, right? Correct. And so God was preparing you in, in, in your role as a teacher, I guess, to help mm-hmm. teach the ways of God, I guess, is, is where you're going to go in this next chapter. I had a profound statement from one of my friends in my prayer group. Uh, it was from Coach Tony Junji. Coach Tony Junji. He said um, that uh, basically... Your job doesn't define what you do. It's just a platform for you to do God's work. Yeah. And I really have discovered that that's the truth no matter which occupation is. So it's, it's, uh, it's, been a gr- it's been a journey, and you're still on it. Yes. But, you know, if, if we were going to get a little takeaway, one takeaway about, about Eli and what a gift Eli has been to you and what a, a gift he purports to be to the, to the whole world here, what would that be? I would say that most people, when they receive the diagnosis, my wife and I do, would view that as inheriting a burden. And I would say to them that Eli has been anything but a burden. And he has taught me way more in the last five years than I will ever teach him. That's beautiful. That's absolutely beautiful. Thank you so much, Chad. Judice, uh, author, speaker now, traveler, world traveler, uh, and, and, and to somewhat still a high school teacher, but transitioning. Uh, we wish you uh, uh, luck in that. We, 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 we bless that ministry, and I know that ministry is going to bless us as well and we thank you for spending some time here with us at the luxurious corner booth of the catholic cafe uh, again if you want to get in touch with him it's waiting for eli.com uh, his books are available on amazon.com chad thanks so much for being here thanks for having me i appreciate it let's pray in the name of the father and the son the holy spirit amen heavenly father you are the author of all life and you created us in your image and likeness help us to see in every human being a perfect design that goes so much deeper than the physical and mental attributes that the world so quickly deems as imperfect and blemished. Grant us the gift of recognizing the Creator in the created. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening to The Catholic Cafe. If you'd like to contact Deacon Jeff, send an email to deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. The Catholic Cafe is brought to you by the Order of Malta Federal Association and is broadcast with ecclesial permission from J. Terry Stive, Bishop of Memphis in Tennessee. Join us again at the Catholic Cafe. There's always room for one more at our table. <laughs>